Hello there. This is Lisa Olson. Happy to share my favorite leadership quote. One of them. I have several. This is by John Maxwell. There are five non-negotiable characteristics that every effective leader must have. A sense of calling, an ability to communicate, creativity in problem solving, generosity, and consistency. The Leader Assistant Podcast exists to encourage and challenge assistants to become confident, game-changing leader assistants. Thank you so much for listening all around the world. Hey friends, welcome to episode 77. Just a quick reminder to join us in the Leader Assistant Membership Subscription, where we have monthly group coaching calls and then access to the video recordings of those calls in case you uh, want to rewatch or couldn't join us live. We also have an online forum platform where we share tips and resources and bonus videos and bonus templates um, and all kinds of great content to help you be a leader in your role. So it's $39 a month or $399 for an annual membership. And you can join us at members.leaderassistant.com. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to the Leader Assistant Podcast. It's your host, Jeremy Burrows. And today I'm super excited to be speaking with Lisa Olson. Lisa is the co-owner of admin to admin and she's also Senior Executive Coordinator, um, also Board Coordinator, and leads a team of six at Dignity Health. Lisa, how's it going? It's going great. Thanks, Jeremy. Nice to be here. And what part of the world are you in right now? Right now, I am in uh, Sacramento, California. What was your very first job, and what skills did you learn in that role that you still use today? Well, if we go way back, um, I think my you know very first job was you know babysitter, uh, but it is amazing how many skills you use. And then I worked uh, some summers with my mother, who actually had a very interesting job working at the embassy of Iraq. I grew up in the D.C. area, and she actually worked as a very high-level uh, executive assistant at the embassy. And so my one of my first jobs, I think that was my first job, was I spent some summers uh, there and did really important work, like stuffing envelopes and <laughs> doing some odd jobs for her. But it really helped me to learn the ropes from one of the best. So uh, that was probably my first job. Hmm. So when did you come become a, an EA? And did you become an EA partly because your mom was and you kind of respected that and saw that, um, that kind of the power or the uh, responsibility that came with that role? Well, I think it was a little bit of both. I actually always wanted to be um, a flight attendant, but that never panned out. And so uh, I went off to college and was also uh, was in the nursing program to start. And um, then I met my uh, future husband and got married. And he was in law school. So uh, I helped support our little tribe and while he was uh, in law school. So I worked on campus at the college university and uh, at the university there and um, just really loved the work. I started doing support work there 
and just really loved it. No two days were the same. And I felt like it was a really good niche for me. And um, from there, it's just, you know, as we moved around, I continued to look for those types of roles. Um, I spent about seven years working in a hospital and medical records. So I learned all, all about that scope of work and um, have spent most of my career in healthcare. Um, spent a few years in engineering, spent a few years in the public corporate, uh, the public world, public agency, government. Um, but my expertise is in healthcare. And so it just kind of expanded from there. Uh, it's just an area of work that I've always really enjoyed. And then have, as my skills have developed, I've just sort of branched out and doing, um, done other things. I've experienced in human resources, uh, of course, medical records, um, all different kinds of areas. So I, you know, I'd have to probably say I fell into it, which is a, the case with a lot of assistance, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, we, we fall into it and then we just sort of hang out <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and we evolve. And I've had lots of wonderful uh, opportunities since then. I taught at the college level for a while, and but I've always stayed in. Um, I've always stayed at, at True Blue to uh, executive assistant. Uh, mm. It's in my it's in my DNA. I think it's in my blood. Yeah, fell into it and then fell in love with it. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. Well, there are those days where I do. <laughs> Well, I'm not sure I absolutely love it, but um, definitely it's just one of those careers, I think, where you really can make it what you want, right? And and uh, lots of opportunities come floating by, and you can either pick them up and go with them or not. It's a choice. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've been one of those people that have had lots of opportunities float by, and um, I've been able to take advantage of those opportunities. So it's worked out well for me. Awesome. Well, do you have any funny or odd or interesting <laughs> stories of times as uh, an assistant? Uh, I, yeah, you forget, Jeremy, how many years I've been doing this. So. <laughs> <laughs> We'd be here all night with um, with stories, but um, you know, two come to mind very you know quickly. Yeah, uh, one's kind of a humorous one uh, when I was working early in my career. Uh, I was supporting a director, a VP of clinical services, and he asked me once to get some information from up in administration. And so uh, I called up there, and I was very good friends with the colleague, with the EA up there. And so um, I said, hey, you know, I, Lynn, I, I need this information. I think Sister Bridget has it. And um, do you think you can get that for me? And she said, yeah, do you, you know, do you know exactly what it is? And I said, oh, Sister Bridget, yes, she's not Sister Bridget. Her name was, was Sister uh, McCarthy at the time. It was Sister McCarthy. And um, it was a Catholic hospital. So I said, oh, that's Sister McCarthy. She always is needing something. And there was dead silence on the phone, just dead silence. <laughs> and I went, oh, hello, Sister, you're standing right there, aren't you? <laughs> And she was. She, they were on speakerphone. She was standing right there. And I had sort of, you know, very um, just in a fun way, sort of been very sarcastic. And um, luckily, she was very she had a great sense of humor. And in her Irish brogue, she set me straight. But um, <laughs> I'll never forget that one because uh, that reminded me of how important it is to 
ask first if you're on speakerphone. <laughs> <laughs> and then the second one is just was years later, uh, and it really it's a really great example of, and I use this sometimes in my workshops where, and you know, leaving off the names, of course, but um, about where we where we know where the line is of stepping into maybe you know it's time to consider going somewhere else or maybe you're doing too much or stepping into a role that could be outside the bounds of normalcy. But uh, I had worked for this gentleman for about 10 years and uh, we were on a management retreat and we were all waiting for him to come in to dinner um, at the resort and waiting, waiting, waiting. And all of a sudden the maitre d' comes over and says, "Uh, is there a Lisa here? And I said, yes, I'm right here. And the whole management team was there and it was my boss on the phone and he specifically asked for me and he said, I need to go to the hospital. And so, of course, he says, you need to come, you know, come and get me. And so I, of course, ran out the door, ran over to his bungalow where he was or his room and knocked on the door and you know, I needed, I had to drive him to the hospital on the way to the hospital. He had to get sick. When we got to the hospital, you know, the nurse assumes I'm somebody that is related to this person. Okay. We need to help him get his clothes off. You know, (laughs) no, 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 no. So it's a serious story and it's a little bit of a humorous story, but I use that as an example of, you know, and it was shortly after that that I realized um, it was time for me to consider um, moving on because he was so dependent upon me, Hmm. so dependent um, and felt so comfortable, which I totally respected. Um, and of course we don't really have the time to go into all the onion layers of this, but, um, it was just one of those examples and one of those stories about, I was more than happy to help, but I also felt like, wow, um, you know, it's time to maybe reassess Hmm. where we are in this executive assistant relationship. Hmm. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I had a similar experience with my prior executive and, it was kind of like I'm very I was very um lucky to have a good relationship where I could support in so many different ways. But yeah, it kind of there were times where it came to the point where I was like, you know what, this is probably just a little too much. It's too dependent. Yeah. Uh like you said. And so yeah, it's definitely sometimes it takes crazy moments like that to it does, us, shock us it? and wake us up. Yeah, and it's very individual and it's very personal. Yeah. You know, um and everybody has to you know, from that, I kind of came up with this list of, of things, you know, that I share and, you know, uh, with other assistants. And, you know, how do you know? I mean, that's really the question that comes out of that example, right? And those stories, right, Jeremy, is that, you know, how do you know when it's time to move on? And, and um, I could have very easily stayed and continued and, and kept on, you know, going and probably been very, everything would have been fine. But for me personally, it was a it was a very personal thing that I needed to come to terms with. So yeah, it's um, certainly a, a great discussion topic. Hmm. So, what about let's talk a little bit about a couple practical tips. So, how about managing an executive's email inbox? What's your number one tip for doing that? <laughs> don't don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> That's my tip. Um, 
And, you know, this is really interesting. I'm really glad you asked this question, Jeremy, because this comes up a lot, doesn't it? That, mm-hmm. And I think sometimes there are some assistants who feel like they are less than if they're not mm-hmm. managing their executive's inbox, right? Like, oh, it's the end all of being a top-level assistant if you are managing your executive's inbox. You know, I do manage and triage my executive's inbox, but, you know, before I answer that question of what my tip is, I just want to put that out there that, you know, I, I don't think every assistant should feel like they're not a cut above if they are not managing their executive's inbox. There are some industries, there are some businesses, there are some things, you know, that executives do where sometimes they, it makes sense not to have their assistant manage their inbox. Um so anyway, I always throw that out there. Um, my tip is, you know, I have several of them, but I think for me personally, um, my tip is not to get too caught up in um, worrying about what they're sending, but more about what's in the inbox and getting rid of the junk. Mm-hmm. Um, when you're new to a job and new to supporting an executive one of, and you are going to be supporting and triaging their inbox, the number one thing you want to do is who are the top 10 people, you know, that they're going to get emails from and what are the periodicals? What is the junk? And be paying attention to that um, over a short period of time, you know, like 30 days before you start doing anything. And I learned that the hard way. Trust me. Um, you know, I worked for an executive. I think the first executive that I started doing their email for and you know, I just went in there and was just starting to delete things that I thought were junk. Well, that was bad. That was wrong <laughs> because I hadn't taken time to um, look at their inbox, kind of pay attention to what, sh- what she was deleting and keeping. So I think one tip is to, is to get familiar, obviously, and don't make assumptions about what you th- think might be important and what they think might be important. Um, and and I, I don't have my executive's inbox open all the time. I triage it maybe four times a day because otherwise I might drop balls in my own inbox mm-hmm. and of things that I need to be doing to support her. So that that's an interesting point, right? Because if I'm always in her inbox, I'm going to miss stuff that's in mine that will help her to be more productive. So I have, you know, reminders in my on my calendar to triage her email about four or five times a day. That's great. Yeah, it's a, definitely a, a common question that I get. I even, in fact, yeah. right before we started recording, I got a LinkedIn message from someone saying, "Hey, you know, thanks for the podcast. Do you have any resources on managing an inbox for your executive?" And I was like. Mm-hmm. It's funny you ask because I think I'm going to ask uh, Lisa that question. <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, I don't move things into folders. I mean, she has folders, you know, but the only time I'll do that is if she's on vacation and going to be gone for an extended period of time. She was, uh, she was in Rome for about a month last summer, and during that time, I did set up some folders for myself and moved some things into folders, um, and did do some responding on her behalf. Um, but other than that, um, you know, I knew she was kind of checking periodically. So you just have to be careful, right? And I think the most important tip with managing an executive in- 
executives inbox is to know your executive, Mm -hmm. right? You got to know your executives preferences. Um, yeah. And what's important to them. Um, that's the most important tip I think. Yeah, I agree. So what's the number one struggle that you've had as an assistant and that you see other assistants having? Well, I mean, that's kind of a twofold question. I've been, I saw that one and I, and I, I'm just sort of, I, I think there's, there are two different questions. What's the number one struggle that assistants have? Um, to me, I think that's different than the, the day-to-day struggle that I might have. I think if I were to answer the question, what's the number one struggle assistants have? I would say it's, it's really not understanding, um, how they individually can make a difference and contribute. Um, you know, I think it, of course, in today's world, we, we could say things like, Oh, keeping up with technology or managing my executives inbox. But yeah, th- but those are all things that we, that we do. I think assistance today, the number one struggle we have is, you know, is evolving ourselves staying up to date with having self-awareness about how I am perceived. Um, and we'll touch a little bit more about that, I think, later on. But, um, you know, as far as a day-to-day struggle, that that changes daily, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, you know, one day it might be um, the fact that your whole computer system is down. Right now here in California, in our area, this is a really interesting We've something we've had to deal with, but we've got power outages. Mm, yeah. One of our one of our six hospitals has been completely running on generator, so that's a struggle that I'm dealing with right now, right? Um, so there are two, there I think there are two different questions, really, Jeremy. You know, the the struggle with the per, with the perception of the role, if that's one question, or the day to day struggle that we have. Two yeah. different things. Yeah. What is a tip for the executives listening? that you would give to help them get more out of their assistance and really utilize their assistance more for executives. You mean? Yeah. Um, again, you know, I, I'm going to go back to, um, executives will, executives will put as much trust and, um, lean into their assistance as their assistants will demonstrate. So what I mean by that is everything that I do as an assistant, everything that my executive gives to me or puts trust in me, how she utilizes me, and this is the case with every boss I've ever had, is up to me. Sometimes, you know, we, I think we focus too much on, uh, well, how can we get executives to um, give their assistants more work? Um, in fact, I saw something come across a Facebook feed earlier today about that. Um, something about how their executive doesn't keep their meetings, doesn't respect their time. Uh, that's up to me on how I manage that, how I um, demonstrate the value that I'm going to bring to my executive. That starts with me and how I carry myself, how I manage myself, my self-awareness, my critical thinking skills, how I advocate for the role, all of that. You can just like throw all of those that into a bucket. 
And, um, you know, to me, that's that's the message. When I first came here to this position that I have now, the team was a little was very siloed, uh, very siloed, very task oriented. And um, I've never worked that way. And so and that's how and that's what's interesting about your question here is that the uh, the executives, that's how they treated those assistants. You know, schedule this meeting, mm-hmm. um, order this lunch, do this, do that. Those are all tasks, right? There was no, there was no connecting, connecting. There was no strategy. There was no synergy. There was no, you can use every buzzword you want. There was none of that happening. And so I saw very quickly that that was an area that really needed some work. And so I have always been the type of assistant that has walked the professionalism that this career deserves. And so then that is how I am perceived. Uh, if that makes any sense. Yeah. And so then that's how my executives utilize me. Right. I don't wait for them to say, Oh, I want you to do this or I want you to get involved with me strategically. No, it's the, it's the other way around. How, how much my executive uses me strategically is completely up to me. Yeah. What would you say to assistants listening who, can, that kind of lights a fire uh, for them, what you just said, but they struggle with confidence. They just don't have the confidence to, you know, ask their executive or, or, or tell their executive. Um, what's your encouragement and challenge to those listening? That well, really I'm not even sure it's that? about, and that's the interesting thing. It's not so much about asking, you know, I've never really asked my executive or gone in and said, Hey, I want you to, you know, get me involved in this or that. I think if they're, if assistants are lacking confidence, there's a couple of different things I might suggest one shadow or, um, get a, a, another EA that you feel like has those qualities that you want to emulate and shadow them or have them be your mentor or go to lunch with them and pick their brain or, um, get involved in a committee or do uh, volunteer yourself to maybe um, show how to do something at a lunch and learn for your assistants. There's such a there's a plethora of different things that assistants can do to get that started. In other words, if they're lacking confidence, you don't necessarily want to say, OK, go into your executive's office and say or do this. That might be jumping the gun a little bit, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but what you can do is give yourself opportunities. They can give themselves opportunities to practice those types of things by, you know, if there's a a higher level EA that they really feel like, man, he or she has a lot of confidence, buzz them up, call them up and say, hey, I'd like to spend some time with you. Can you, you know, can I pick your brain or can you help me to you know, give me some ideas or suggestions on how, what I can do. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of self-awareness involved in, in this role. There has to be. And uh, you got to be willing to uh, peel back some onion layers and be really honest with yourself about the whole confidence thing. Um, uh, confidence comes from recognizing that you do have what it takes to be a successful EA. 
but you got to do the work, right? It's not just going to come in a FedEx package on your front doorstep. You know, you, you've got confidence, right? Um, you got to do the work. You've got to do the things. Maybe join Toastmasters. Maybe, um, you know, offer to, like I said, get get involved in a lunch and learn. Take every opportunity to build and strengthen that confidence. Are you ready to elevate your career in 2024? I'm Maggie Olson, founder of Nova Chief of Staff Certification, the first of its kind online course for aspiring and existing chiefs of staff. With curriculum taken directly from on-the-job responsibilities, Nova's self-paced learning modules provides you with hands-on experience so you can feel competent and confident moving into a chief of staff style role. It's the perfect next step for executive assistants. Head to leaderassistant.com slash Nova to learn more, grab the syllabus and enroll today. So on that topic, what is maybe one book or resource that you would recommend to assistants who want to develop their skills? Wow. So, so many, um, you know, you know, we have so many resources now than we did when I first started in the career. Um, there's so many fabulous webinars, obviously your great podcast, great books, um, out there. I would suggest, uh, going to success.com success.com. There's a great, that's a great magazine, but they also have a book reference and there's all kinds of great books. I always recommend the book Crucial Conversations because I think one area that assistants do struggle with is having those crucial conversations. You've got to know how to have them. You've got to know how to um, understand communication styles. And so Crucial Conversations is one that I always recommend. Um, awesome. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I just think sometimes finding a mentor, finding a, a job shadowing another EA, that's one of the best ways um, that's that's what I did early in my career. Um, and I took some classes. You can take classes at a community college. Um, there's a myriad of things, you know, that you can do now to um, grow your your skills. I think the one danger that we have is when assistants feel like they don't need any more training or they don't need any more growth. Um, and I've been around those kind of assistants and they get complacent. Right. There's no there's no place for complacency when you are an EA. In fact, the more the higher up you go, the more approachable you should be. Yeah. Um, in my it, that's in my in my humble opinion, um, you really when you get to the point where you feel like you have nothing left to learn or nothing left to teach, that's a real dangerous place to go. So. Yeah. Definitely. Um, yeah. So no matter, you know, no matter where you are in your career, there's always, always something new to learn. Um, you know, I consider myself to be a very highly, I don't even know if skilled is the right word, proficient maybe, or professional assistant, but oh my gosh, I'm still reading the books. I'm still, I'm still listening to the podcast. I'm still going to conferences. You know, even though I speak at them and do training myself, it's, I don't speak on anything that I haven't either experienced myself, screwed up on myself, <laughs> um, or want to learn myself. So, um, yeah, it's, there's always things you can, you can do to increase your skills. Yeah. So, so speaking of speaking, 
Could you just talk for a minute about why you decided to start training other assistants? Uh, interesting story. Uh, years, once upon a time, <laughs> <laughs> uh, way back when, um, I was on the APC, Administrative Professionals Conference Advisory Council. I used to attend as an attendee and then learned about the Advisory Council and so stepped onto that. And as part of that at the time, they asked four of us on the Advisory Council at that time to do a, a concurrent session at that year's APC, and I'm not even going to tell you what the year was, but um, <laughs> it was like a long time ago. Um, and so from that, I guess my evals came back um, strong, which was wonderful. And so they asked me the next year to do one on my own. And so it, the topic resonated, I guess. And so from there, I realized, wow, well, maybe there's, you know, that's something that I could that I could do to share my, you know, passion for this career. And so from there, I, I did started doing things at work. I had done some training at work already um, with our orientation program. So I'd had some experience. But um, from there, I, you know, took some classes. I went to Toastmasters. I you know, got some mentors, fabulous mentors, um, went to some training, you know, train the trainer type things. And it just has evolved. And then I then I started getting invites to speak and do training by word of mouth. Um, and it's just it's just gone on from there. And I've really been uh, grateful um, for the opportunities that I've had to do, you know, on site training at corporations and then um, speak at pretty much all of the um, conferences that are out there. And they're all wonderful. They all offer something terrific. Um, there's such a great menu now um, of resources out there. Some people don't like the big conferences. Some people don't think you get a whole lot of value out of the big conferences. I don't know if I would agree with that 100%. I think there's something for everybody right now. Um, and so what assistants need to be doing is their homework. Right. Mm -hmm. They need to know what areas they need to fill gaps in yeah. and then look for those um, opportunities, smaller conferences, larger conferences, um, whatever it might be that help them to bridge their own gaps. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. So what would you say is your kind of maybe 30 second pitch on what makes your perspective on the admin training world unique. In other words, if somebody says, hey, you know, we're considering you for speaking at our event for assistance, why should we Why should we choose you? What's your 30-second pitch, elevator pitch? Oh, gosh. You know, I think it's because I've evolved with it. I've evolved with the role, um, and I've supported at all levels. Um, and I'm still in it, you know, um, I've stepped into management. I lead teams. And I have a unique perspective, Jeremy. I, I think my, my perspective is a little unique because my feeling is, the, and I speak to this when I, I was just at up in Washington uh, doing something, and um, sometimes I start jumping up and down because I, I, I get so excited about it. But, um, you know, I was talking about how we – if we want to, I asked first, I asked the question, you know, what are there stereotypes still out there with this career? And of course, everybody goes, yeah, yeah, there are. 
And I go, well, whose responsibility is it to, you know, smush those stereotypes? And they all kind of look at me with this deer in the headlights, you know, like, oh, it's my bosses. I don't get value in the workplace. No, it's, it's, it's ours. It's mine. Um, the administrative culture, you know, will change one admin at a time. And so my, I think my unique perspective in this world of, of trainers and speakers is um, I understand the world of the EA very, very well. And I understand that, that my personal success in it has come from how I advocate for the role myself. In other words, how I promote the role, how I speak about the role, how I navigate the role, um, how I walk the talk and, you know, walk into an office with my shoulders back and my head high because I'm an EA um, and I believe in it and I believe that it's a career um, and it's a valuable career. Um, so I think that's sort of what's, what sets my message apart a little bit. I really like speaking about things, a um, little bit higher level stuff like um, emotional resilience as opposed to emotional intelligence. I like speaking about leadership for the EA. Um, there's just so many. I studied leadership. That was my area of focus in grad school. And um, there's, so, there's so much room for growth in that area for EAs. And empowerment. Empowerment is totally misunderstood in the in the EA world, um, I think. So lots of room for stuff. Yeah, See, yeah. I get all excited and you can't <laughs> shut me up. So. <laughs> I was going to say the elevator's on the 17th floor now, there but that's all right. Exactly. That's right. That's right. I always liked rooftop bars. That's um, right. Exactly. So, okay, speaking of leadership, let's wrap, wrap it up with the final question. What makes an assistant a leader? What makes an assistant a leader? What makes an assistant a leader is a willingness to see others succeed. Um, a lot of assistants, the more successful they are, the higher up they go, they start putting criminal tape around their desks or their cubes or their offices um, and get, they forget that if you want to be seen as a leader, you help others succeed. Um, you give others the opportunity to learn from you. Um, I know for my team, in that sense of being a leader, I try and lead from behind. Um, I give them opportunities to shine. Um, I give them credit when when the credit is, is due. Um, leadership is all about um, helping others, lifting others along the journey. Um, and that's that's really important to me. Well, Lisa, thanks so much for taking time out of your day um, to share your tips and wisdom and, and insight and just really appreciate you doing this. Uh, where can we sure. find you online and where can uh, we support you what bet. you're up to? Yeah, you bet. Um, uh, you can find me at Lisa at adminttoadmin.com or our website at uh, www.admintoadmin.com. We've got a couple fun things coming up. Yeah, so that's where people can reach out. And uh, thanks so much for the opportunity. I'm a very passionate EA myself, as I know you are. And um, it's, a, it's a great career to be in right now. Yeah. Totally. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, thanks again. And we will talk soon and see you soon. Awesome. Thanks so much. Thanks again, Lisa. You can check out her website and get in touch with Lisa 
via the show notes at leaderassistant.com slash 77. Talk to you next time. Please review on Apple Podcasts. Please review on Apple Podcasts. GoBullos.com